Hello there, and thanks for joining us here at Lion's Guide, where we empower you with the resources you need to reach heightened levels of success in your performance, leadership, and in business. On these episodes, we set out to explore the stories of our guests and the lessons they've learned. We also interview various subject matter experts and review books and other resources to help you establish clarity, have courage, and lead the way. I'm your host, Dale Walls, and I'm the founder of Lion's Guide. And on this episode, we've got Mr. M.C. Lobsher, who is a husband, dad, entrepreneur, investor, and educator. It is his mission to help business owners and investors capitalize on economic opportunities in times of change, chaos, and disruption, kind of seemingly like we are right now. So uh, not only has M.C. figured out how to escape the rat race and replace his income through cash flow investing, he shares how you can do the same thing through other cash flow investing strategies. MC is the founder of Cashflow Ninja and the creator and host of the top-rated business and investing podcast, Cashflow Ninja, as well as Cashflow Investing Secrets, where over the last five years, he's interviewed the best minds in business and investing. MC is also the president at Producers Wealth, a wealth firm that assists investors and business owners to implement advanced cash flow strategies and MC is the principal at Producers Capital Partners, which is an investment firm that helps investors to invest in alternate cash flow investments. Uh, MC is an awesome guy. Um, I've known him for a little while now, and I couldn't wait to have him on the show. And in this episode, we discuss how he managed to beat that rat race and what the wealthy do differently than the majority of the rest of us, let's say. Um, he also discusses some of the biggest lessons he's learned from interviewing uh, over the last five years, really the top minds in business and investing. He's got a great portfolio of folks that he's had on his show. So uh, this is a great episode. I really enjoy putting it together for you guys. Uh, you're going to love it. And before we get started, hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss any of our other great guests and content. And also make sure to head over to lionsguide.com and check out our free resources, including the latest ready sheet downloads, book reviews, community events, live streams and trainings, new courses, discounts on memberships and workshops, and a whole lot more. Especially if you're a business owner who wants to perform and lead at your highest level, head over to lionsguide.com and access all of our resources today. With that all said, let's start the show. Hey, and on today's episode, we have Mr. MC Lobsher, who is a husband, father, entrepreneur, investor, also an author, and thankfully, he's an educator, um, and he's here today to talk to us a little bit, about, little bit about how we might become cash flow ninjas like him. MC, welcome. Glad to have you on here, finally. Awesome to be here. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, definitely. So so tell us, you know, 30-second version, who, who you are and what do you do? Yeah, originally from South Africa, I uh, came to the US uh, in 2001, believe it or not. Time flies when you're having fun. So a backpack, a suitcase, uh, 500 bucks, a sense of humor and a sense of adventure. Um, and uh, saw the incredible opportunity that has existed in this country. Um, I played sports here up until 2007 in a, in a national rugby league. Um, and while I was doing that, I started my journey um, as, as an investor. Um, and then eventually started uh, a couple of uh, companies, 
Um, and um, most folks are familiar now with some of them if they've heard of of anything that I've done. Um, they've heard of Cashflow Ninja, which was a podcast that I started in, in 2016. Um, it started just as a kind of like a passion project, really, but it's now a full-blown education company. We have been downloaded in over 180 <laughs> countries, which is kind of crazy, millions of times. I've got a company called Producers Wealth where we actually help business owners and investors establish and, and create their own banking system, which is a cash flow strategy that we that we also share at the Cashflow Ninja. Uh, and then also have a, a firm called Producers Capital Partners, where we are involved in a lot of um, alternative investment projects in real estate, um, you know, like multifamily and, and resorts and, and other exciting niches. Yeah, man. No, it's it's been fun even on the side working with you in your primary trade, you know, in these other vehicles. And I'm excited to kind of talk about them today, but we won't get super advanced out of the gate. Let's warm everybody up as far as, you know, uh, because you and I both know, you know, there's a big jump from what we're taught about finance, what we should do with our money, 401k, IRA, bah, 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 um, versus how the wealthy do it. And yep. uh, I know on your podcast, and we'll get to that too, you've had a lot of folks in, in one, you know, really impressive. I know you've had him on at least once, um, but Robert Kiyosaki, I think, uh, you know, when you get into this world of discussing wealth, like you, you almost can't have this conversation without his name coming up, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because in, in like others and myself, it really opens your eyes up to really what we're taught and why, I don't know, like we just don't get ahead because we're just educated to serve a system rather than serve ourselves in a way. But, you know, it, it, so you, take me back to this $500 in a backpack. Like, what, <laughs> is that serious? You, you, you grabbed your backpack, 500 bucks, you know, hopped on a plane, left South Africa, and here you are? Yep. And I, uh, I played in a in a in a rugby league here up until 2007. That's a great thing about rugby um, around the world. It's an incredible uh, brotherhood, uh, incredible community. Um, so you know, that's that's the nice thing about the, <laughs> the rugby network is you can literally jump on a plane anywhere and find yourself having some new friends relatively quickly, um, and and plugging into an incredible uh, community. So, um, yeah, I did that un until 2007 and I used to play in a, in a, in a national league. So we would play in different cities and different towns every weekend. Um, and you know, when you're, when you're playing sports, um, people get into, you know, really bad, you could get into really good habits or really bad habits on the road, right? You could mm. play video games or you could read books. I was the guy that, that was reading uh, economics books and, uh, finance books and so forth, because um, I did uh, my degree in history and, and economics in South Africa. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and just on a side note in South Africa, too, I grew up during a very interesting time in that country's history, uh, which, uh, you know, just think about it for this, for like this for a second. So everything that you've known your entire life, when up until the point when you're like 12 or 13, just all of a sudden, everything gets flipped upside down. And you don't know what's the truth, what happened, what's going on. There's uncertainty. There's chaos. <laughs> there is um, was at that stage literally, basically, we were the, the country was headed towards a civil civil war. Essentially, 
Mm. So it was a very un uncertain period, chaotic, disruption, and so forth. So I see it as a real gift to having experienced that as a young man. Because how old were you when all when, like all that's going down? Uh, so uh, Nelson Mandela was released in like 1991, and the election was in 1994. So I was around when he was uh, the election. I was around 13, 14 years old. So you're old so, enough to be concerned, right? You're not too young where it's just kind of like over your head. You're kind of starting to come into an adulthood and kind of seeing this chaos and uncertainty unfold around you. So it's it's a bit disconcerting for sure. Yeah, and you see also at that stage, you uh, um, you just learn by observation, right? You don't necessarily re read widely on the news and, you know, online, the online thing wasn't even a thing at that stage or a, 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 a possibility for, for, uh, for me. Um, so you just observe what other people are experiencing and how everyone's sort of panicking, um, you know, inside of your family, the communities, um, you know, the people that, that you're going to with school, and then you start to see certain kind of things play out, um, as everybody would see on, on TV at that stage. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it literally, it was, it was, it was a gift. I look back at it now and I'm like, that was really a, a gift very early on in my life because it shaped my kind of a, it gave me a different perspective and a different worldview and paradigm to what a lot of folks have, where I realized, you know, the world does not work as as advertised. Uh, mm. It's a completely it's com actually completely different than as advertised. Um, it allowed me to question everything, which you know it takes people a very very long time to start doing that in their life. So I started questioning everything immediately because I'm like, wait a second. So this group of folks were now completely wrong, but the new folks are now saying this is how you know, everything worked and was, I said, wait a second, how about I just question everything and figure these things out um, and see, see how they, they, they really, really worked. Um, you know, and that's kind of the perspective, which I then took with me in, in the rest of my kind of my, my schooling uh, when I was in high school and, and then college. And when I got to the United States too, you know, I was always reading widely and uh, reading on different topics and subjects and so forth. And, I uh, loved reading about economics and history because, you know, throwing those two things together um, and then bringing also the financial world into it. You know, those three lenses will give you sort of an idea of what actually happened because you could have the economic kind of lens and that's one lens and that's just one part of it. You could have the historic lens and that's just one part of it. But you bring in the financial, you know, history and the financial lens. And well, now you kind of get a picture of of why things happened and how things happened. Um, you know, so I, I kept on reading widely, um, as I was, I was saying, just traveling for uh, with sports. And then my mom actually gave me this book, which you mentioned of Robert K. Saki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. And so your just, mom gave it to you? In 97. So she gave it to me. I think I was, I read it the first time around 2001. Yeah, it was 2001. And it just blew me away that, what I was kind of feeling in my gut as I was reading very widely on the topic of wealth creation and finance was all put together in a book. <laughs> and yeah. um, that really was kind of uh, the moment where I realized, wow, there is a completely different game being played here. Most people are unaware of how the, first of all, they're unaware that they're in a game. They're unaware that there's rules to the game and there's players. Um, and you have to understand all these different 
things to be able to play the game well, which without a choice, you are in. <laughs> you know, we're living on an economic planet, as Grant Cardone would say, which I've had the privilege of, of interviewing on my show. Um, so by definition of, of this economic planet and, and operating in economies, as all of us do in some way, shape, or form in, in, a, in a certain capacity, we're part of the game. So that book really opened my eyes. And, and you know, I took action very, very quickly after re reading that book. So within the first six months, I bought my first uh, investment property. Um, and, uh, you know, I... I paid all the bills associated with it after I got renters in it and collected the the rent check. And at the end of the month, there were there was there was money left over, and it was that massive light bulb moment where I'm like, "Whoa, this is this is cash flow," like they talked about in the book. Um, and I the, the question became to myself at that stage: How many times can I do this? How many of these units can I own? Um, because this is definitely the the the, the way to do this. And I, then, of course, you know. The, the journey of your education starts a different type of education, right? Because fun fact is most real estate investors will chuckle when they, they hear this. Uh, sometimes your tenants don't pay rent. Sometimes they damage things, you know, and so forth. So the, the education really, really start, starts at that stage. And, you know, as I was learning more and, and I was very, very curious uh, reaching out to folks. I had a very, very wealthy friend that I met through the Rugby Network too, which I kind of got an insight of how family offices work. Mm. Um, and that just blew blew my mind too. But I started to research all the different topics that I discovered through him uh, and the, the folks that were essentially working in their family office. And, uh, you know, it just led me to this conclusion that there were folks just playing at a very, very high level. I call them cash flow ninjas. And uh, essentially, you know, when you want to partner with those those cash flow ninjas, you're going to have to be a person of value. So you have to bring skills to the table. So developing myself and my skill sets was was a priority before that. It's at that stage, it's something that I continually do every single day, um, and continue to to do um, in my business and and as as an investor. Um, and I started to realize too that they play at a different level. Um, I was at that stage, I started working for that, that friend of mine. They owned a ton of multifamily units because I wanted to learn the bigger business of real estate because I was just playing around with some single family at that stage, right? So I learned, I, I started literally working right at the, uh, from the ground up for him, boots on the ground because I was traveling a lot for sports at that stage. So you're not really very employable anywhere. <laughs> If you're traveling and gone for most of the time, again, at that stage, I, I realized that it was a decision that I made, but it was actually also a gift mm -hmm. because I started picking up trash basically from on these huge multifamily unit properties to eventually doing construction from being part of construction crews, running construction crews for it, uh, doing some property management, doing some leasing, uh, working with contracts, working with suppliers for uh, all of their they're essentially properties to eventually managing uh, over 500 units from and the capacity as a, as a property manager. So it really gave me an insight to the business. Um, and then I got a broker broker's license at that point. I became part of their acquisitions team. And I remember chasing this one real estate investor because I knew they were sort of in the process of thinking of selling their portfolio of properties. And I was after them for about six to eight months. One Early morning, I got into the office at around 7.30, 7.45.
And that investor walked out of the broker, which was my friend's partner's office, just sold the entire, you know, portfolio of properties to them. And I sat there and, I, and as a young man, I said, what just happened here? Wait, this, this has to be like a, like a, a learning moment, right? <laughs> a, coach, a coachable moment. What can I learn from this? And I realized that how these guys were playing the game at a different level. Uh, they were the cash flow ninjas in this space. My friend and his partner. Nobody was going to think about selling anything that they didn't know about. And if they were thinking about it, they were going to contact them first because they would either buy it uh, cash or they would flip it to another investor uh, that which they knew already. They would know the end buyer already for that, right? Because of the network. And I looked at that and I said, "How do you compete with that? You can't really compete with that. How do you partner with that? Then? Mm -hmm. How do you partner with them?" Um, and that was the second light bulb moment of like, how do you do bigger things with these big players? Um, you know, and, and as I was going through all of this, I started to realize, too, that there was massive gaps in my own wealth strategy uh, of what I was doing. And I started to get this recurring theme, which comes through the Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki book, which comes through studying family offices, which comes through looking at what the wealthiest ind individuals in the world are doing, they all essentially have their own banking system. Mm. So I realized at that stage, okay, you could be, you can have a business, you can be a great investor, but the glue that puts all this together is essentially creating your own banking system um, and by doing that, you stop being a piece on the chessboard, but you essentially create your own little chessboard where you control the game and you control the cash flow. So that was a huge, like third, like big light bulb moment for me. Um, you know, and as I stopped playing sports, that was kind of um, that I knew what I wanted to do and I knew what I wanted to build businesses. I wanted to build businesses that I'm passionate about educating and, and, and teaching folks. Um, I was doing consulting as I was building some of these businesses too, completing, um, my MBA at that stage and in, in finance. Um, and you know, in, I would say around 2015, things really started to, to come together, um, in, the company pr produces wealth where we help folks create this banking systems for for them for themselves and then i wanted to share all these different things that we were learning all these different cash flow strategies and so forth uh through cashflow ninja so we started that in 2016 and that essentially then just put rocket fuel on on everything else uh that 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 we were doing so uh, yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a fun a fun adventure fun journey and you know it just continues to be to be fun and interesting you never know which direction you know life life takes you yeah no and i think it's funny as i'm listening to you and for those folks who haven't you've heard me mention it before you know rich dad poor dad one read the book it'll change your life you know uh and then pick up cash flow quadrant like read the whole stack i got the whole stack sitting next to me but um you know, it's a, it's, it is a mind shift, you know, um, and even Robert Kiyosaki and much to your credit, likewise, like it, it is fun to educate people in these things, um, because it's such a wake up, you know? Um, so, you know, two things I wanted to get you to go ahead and explain that you, you said that folks, cause some folks are talking about these things that they met, maybe never even heard of it before. So, you know, um, one, I was going to say, you're, it's funny how your story very much mimics 
the the rich dad poor dad story which not to spoil it but you know robert kiyosaki he had his real father who mm-hmm. followed the system quote unquote and then he had his best friend's father who like you mentioned with your friend you know was playing a different game and he was really intrigued by that and you know the whole rich dad poor dad brand is around the lessons learned there it, it kind of like you've learned and and now you're kind of bringing the market which is awesome but you mentioned you know like family office could you kind of explain what that means for someone who, who who have never heard that term before what's what's a family office so it's essentially a private wealth firm that manages the wealth of a particular family so you get um i mean there's many different structures out there but essentially it's it's the concept is based on what the Rockefellers had established. They established this quote-unquote Rockefeller family office, this firm that manages the family's money and has all of their advisors under one roof. Mm. Um, and you know, when families hit a threshold of like $100 million in net worth, uh, there's now you have, you have a significant wealth, right? And now if you don't have a coordinated team that's all on the same page, all of a sudden, mistakes now come with a lot of zeros attached to it. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to have everybody on the same team, everybody um, help craft the strategy, and then everybody everybody makes sure that, that everything is done efficiently. So that's kind of family offices. There's different models and structures now, but most folks think of a family office as the single family office, which is essentially built on the the Rockefeller concept. And then there's also different firms now, which is kind of like a, um, you know, plug and play for certain families over a certain network. Not, you know, obviously uh, up to 100 million, but when they get get into, uh, you know, when they get to 20, 25, 30, there's certain um, companies which then allows families like themselves to plug into this family office and and have all of their advisors uh, on on the same, you know, same page. You know, it's it's been fascinating um, reading up about it, and it's been incredible to study it. And then now I've become really good friends, actually, with with folks working in family offices. And this is what they do: they manage uh, the wealth of these of these families. And you know, I was actually invited in by my one friend to just sit in on a strategy session the one time because uh, he just wanted to, I was always very curious and and he's like, you would love this. Uh, we're just, you know, going to discuss strategy essentially. So I sat in on that and you know what the most incredible thing is of, of that, my biggest takeaway from that, that session that I was in is again, it's the complete opposite of what everyone else is doing. So what does everybody else do? What do, what do they do? Well, they try, let's just say they do even pay themselves, you know, first and 10% of their gross earnings as as advised and advocated in the richest man of Babylon, which everybody should read as well. And let's just say they do that. So they save 10% of their gross earnings and income, and then they focus on that 10% to double that or make as much money on that 10%, right? And grow that as much as possible, the 10% of of, of their gross income and savings that they put away every single year. So they're so focused just on taking it and try to multiply. Now, what, what do these family offices do? You know, the most incredible thing that I, that I saw was the biggest focus and emphasis was first on defense. Hmm. 
Mm. It was first on protecting against wealth destroyers. And, you know, when you say wealth destroyers, the, the number one thing that comes to mind is taxes, right? And the tax codes, uh, it changes con constantly. So they, they, had, they had three folks just focusing on the tax side of this. Um, so they're playing, they're focusing on defense and trying to figure out how to be as most tax efficient legally as possible. And this friend of mine said to me, you know, when I said, this is incredible, where everybody else is just focusing on hitting home runs, essentially, taking that 10% and try to multiply it and try and get as big as return as they can. These folks are focusing on, on, on just tax efficiency first. That's the, the primary driver. And he said, just think about it this way, MC. If we reduce the taxes for this family or find like a little inefficiency and we tweak it and we save them, you know, 10% on their taxes that year, reduce it even by 10%. There's no return in the marketplace compounding over 10, 15, 20, 30 years that would beat that. There's no return. Mm. So, and I, and I, I looked at him and I said, this is just incredible because most folks are so focused on investing in the next Snapchat and finding the next Bitcoin and hitting the next home run where these folks are thinking, you know, multi-generationally. They're like, all right, 10% is this year. That's great. But let, now let's look at the compound growth of those savings over our generation, the next generation, the following generation. Um, it, it's just quite incredible. And it's the same thing with market drawdowns, you know, where I mean, they're very big on defense. And, and most folks listening to this that are familiar with sports, you know, we always hear that offense can win you games, but defenses wins you championships. Mm. And that's kind of the different kind of approach of these, the, the wealthiest families and, 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 and folks on the planet. And then, you know, the majority of folks, uh, they're focused on not losing. You know, that's why everybody quotes Warren Buffett too. Rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. They're focusing massively on defense. They know that they have more to gain in maximizing um, and, and, and the inefficiencies, like, Fixing that, right? Reducing taxes, not losing, not, not losing cash, and having proper uh, tax strategy, asset protection, and estate planning. They have much more to gain from that than trying to find that next Snapchat. Look, they're very great. With, they're great with their businesses too, if that's in their wheelhouse, which is the other part that they're focusing on. You know, they focus on defense, and then they focus on their business because they know that again, there's no. There's no bigger return in the marketplace that they'll find than within their own businesses. Right. Uh, and then they start to invest outside of their businesses to generate cash flow and things that is very, very efficient with cash flow, provides great tax benefits, um, and then also provides uh, a massive upside potential for them and uh, allows them to utilize leverage, whether it be you know human capital or and, and or financial capital. Yeah. And, and when it, just kind of thinking the liquidity, right? And there's reasons for these terms, right? Liquidity and, and what you're kind of describing for those of you trying to get your heads around this, right? If you, if you think about cash and wealth as something liquid, right? You know, in, in order to preserve that, you know, just think it, you know, you're, you got water flowing into a bucket I and mean, that bucket yep. is where you're housing your wealth. And what you're describing is you're plugging the holes in the bucket right? That's the defense, right? Hey, because no matter how much you're pouring in, if it's all falling out of the bottom, 
you know, you've got to work twice as hard, three times as hard to kind of overflow the offense, right? The income coming in, or it's just going to keep falling out the bottom. So I appreciate what you're saying is that playing defense first is really plugging those holes so that the efforts that you are embarking on offensively or in your investments are even more, more secure. You know, they're, you're, you're retaining more of it rather than in going out the, like say the holes in a bucket. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. And, and we, we kind of instinctively know this, right. Mm -hmm. To use another sport kind of uh, example, you know, with boxing, we know that if you're getting in the boxing ring as a fighter, you're getting yourself the best chance to win <laughs> and and secure a victory by being in the best shape of your life and also <laughs> protecting protecting your faith right. and your right. head. Right? I just say protect that's yourself at all times. That's the first thing the rep tells you. <laughs> exactly. That's before you've thrown a punch. So you've made sure that everything that you can control, you have control over. And, and that's a great way to put it because, you know, if we're going to go somewhere, let's just say our vision is we start, uh, you know, a, we have a, this vision for wealth and freedom and sovereignty in our own lives. And we know that this is where we want to go. We set our North Star. Um, and let's just say that's on this little island and we have to get in a boat to go over to that island. Well, it, if you have holes in that boat, it doesn't matter how hard you battle. Uh, it's You're probably going to sink before you get there. So make sure that the, the boat is all the, the, the leaks are plugged. Uh, you have optimized and everything is efficient which you have control over and that's the big thing with these families too which is the complete opposite of a lot of uh different folks right so if i if i can share a framework with you i've literally just put the, a framework together because i like to simplify things mm -hmm. uh for my own benefit too um just of what i've learned and one of the frameworks that i've seen over 20 years of just studying what the wealthiest folks are doing, looking at what, what's happening in family offices and being just, you know, incredibly blessed to have interviewed incredible people on my show is the first kind of thing in this framework that they all do is they make capital. They generate capital somehow, right? Um, and to Robert K. Saki's book, which is great, Cashflow Quadrant, they either do it as an employee, a self-employed person, a business owner, or an investor. And once that happens, the second step then of this framework is you have to position capital somewhere. It has to reside somewhere. Um, and that's where the liquidity comes in. And this really is where a lot of people struggle and they get into big, big trouble because they don't have the liquidity, especially business owners and investors, because as folks um, listening to this and watching this might, might think about it's feast or famine sometimes, right? There's a cycle of cash flow in your business. There's a cycle of, of deals as an investor to invest in. So sometimes you have a lot of cash uh, on the sideline or a lot of cash coming in as a business owner. And then sometimes in the seasons that, that cash flows down, you don't. So you have to you know, float essentially the, the businesses through that period until the, the, the cash flow cycle picks back up. And the same thing as an investor. Sometimes a lot of cash deployed into deals. Otherwise, you're sitting, uh, sometimes you're sitting on a lot of cash. Um, so that's the second part is capital positioning. Uh, and I'll just go through the framework uh, quick and I'll come back to capital positioning, the second step, because it's so important. The third step is essentially cash flow creation. That's when capital is deployed either back into businesses, which is your number one and greatest uh, return that you'll find anywhere uh, in your own business. Um, and then also um, 
and in investments that produces cash flow. And then you have to uh, protect essentially everything that you've produced and created as a producer and a creator that you positioned and that you've deployed into businesses and, invest and investments through tax strategy, through asset protection and through proper estate planning. Now, a lot of folks are really, really good at the capital creation. I see business owners all the time. They absolutely crush it there. They're really, really good at that. A lot of um, folks are really good at deploying capital in the right opportunities uh, to essentially multiply that capital as a business owner at, or as an investor. But where the major inefficiencies come in is the positioning of capital. Where do you put the capital until you deploy it that you can access it easy to grow your business uh, and investments. You know, that was another light bulb moment for me. There was a mentor of mine that said to me, and I went through, you know, a lot of this, these things that I'm sharing now is, you know, hard <laughs> lessons from the, the school of hard knocks. Um, but he said to me, he said, MC, where do you think is the best place for a business owner and an investor to position their capital? And I was thinking about that for a second and then he responded and he said, it's where they can access that capital very, very quickly to grow their own business and or to grow their investment portfolio. And again, what is what is the, the advice uh, given to most business owners and investors? You know, a lot of folks start, they start building companies and all of a sudden it's a very dark place where not a lot of people see you. <laughs> You're just building and grinding, and eventually the business starts to take off. It becomes profitable, and now all of a sudden, the you and the business break the surface. All of a sudden, people start to see what you know. You've got a, a great uh, product or a service that provides value to the marketplace, which brings in a ton of capital into that business. And now there's a lot of advisors that then approaches the business owner, and what do they tell that business owner? They say, "Well, you've done really, really well." We should take some of that capital off the table. We should put it in a diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And what happens at that exact moment? Well, now all of a sudden, where you have invested and reinvested in the business to keep that hockey stick growth curve going of the business, you've now essentially stopped that. You've moved capital away from, from the business. And we see it a lot with business owners that the, the, essentially the business starts to kind of hit the doldrums, right, at that stage. Um, and there's, you know, there is a time and a place where you do have to take some money off the table, still have a plan of reinvesting and keep growing your business, but then just moving some capital into assets, which is preferably hard assets, cash flow assets that produces cash flow because that what that will eventually do for the business owner is it'll replace the income that they were taking from the business anyway and now all of a sudden they've achieved freedom essentially financial freedom which frees up their time which allows them to choose the relationships that they wanted to pursue and be a part of um, which allows them to uh, freedom of location to go anywhere and then also just focus focusing on their purpose you know, what I've seen in the network that I'm in, you know, in multiple networks that I've and at that point in time where the business owner achieves financial freedom and all those freedoms and experiences that shift, their business multiplies. I mean, in some cases, you know, one of the network that I'm in, I've seen folks 10x their businesses because now all of a sudden it's just purpose and passion driven um, they're not, they're, they're completely out of that scarcity sort of mindset. Right. 
because they, they now all of a sudden they know that the security part is done. They're financially secure, financially free. So uh, they can now swing for the fences. Yeah, they can be more, be more bold. Yeah, exactly. That is yeah. an incredible spot to be in where you can at that stage collaborate, um, you know, on a higher level with other, you know, with other with other business owners, you can swing for the fences and have a lot of fun doing so in the meantime, and the stress is gone. So now all of a sudden, incredible things start to happen. Yeah, it's, it is, and these are things, and you were mentioning, I guess, back to the liquidity part versus putting your money into cash flowing investments, right? And some of the more main street terms you hear, right? Like it's the, I don't know, I won't even throw names out there, but they're the brokerages calling saying, hey, Give your money, put it in the 401k, put it in my mutual fund. But those things, correct me if I'm wrong, are generally inaccessible, right? You're you're putting your ass your cash assets into another asset that there are penalties for accessing it versus putting it into opportunities that return cash back to you again, getting that liquidity again, or maybe even back to what you were saying earlier around the banking element, um, becoming your own bank, you know, the concept that that you speak a lot about is just like infinite banking and, and what that yep. means and where you put your funds. What what does that mean, you know, and in, in being your own bank? Yeah. So essentially this is again um a framework and a model copied from what what family offices do. And what family offices do is they actually leverage life insurance which is just, it just blew me the away the first time I saw that. Because most people think about life insurance and they think, okay, well, somebody buys a life insurance policy and then somebody needs to die and pass away in order for someone else to benefit from it. But essentially what you can do is you can structure life insurance and more specifically permanent life insurance and more specifically like a dividend paying whole life insurance policy with a mutual insurance company. There's stock companies, which a lot of folks know about, AIG, you know, Lincoln Financial, all those companies that are listed on the stock exchanges. And then there's lesser known insurance companies, mutual insurance companies that's been around since the <laughs> 1950s, essentially, um, you know, that, that have been incredibly profitable. They don't have to um, do anything risky or get involved in any risky behavior to drive up, you know, to to make their stock appetizing for the market to purchase. They could just manage operations in the benefit of their policyholders, which is their shareholders. So essentially what they do in family offices is they structure these life insurance policy, uh, policies specifically as a savings vehicle where you can position cash and capital in. Um, and this is part essentially of the defense that they're playing. So why would they put it in a life insurance you know, policy was one of the questions that I had. It, couldn't, isn't there something else from a, from a defensive standpoint that they can do? Well, the reason why they do it is, you know, once a life insurance policy and it's structured very specifically um, for cash value, for the savings element, the capital that you put in there is guaranteed. It's guaranteed to grow. And then also these companies pay out dividends because essentially you get to participate in the profits of the company as a shareholder, which is the policyholder. And this is all tax free.
Hey guys, Dale here, and I wanted to take a quick break to invite you to join the launch of the Lions Guy community called The Pride. You see, whether it was at work dealing with the demands of the day or maintaining the demands of my life at home, I always seemed to feel like my struggles were unique, like somehow I was the only one struggling to find joy amidst all the weight that I felt I was carrying each day. And you know, what I've come to realize is that we all have our struggles that we're up against, and it's pretty demanding. The only way to rise to those demands is to decide and make the change to adopt a growth mindset, to be what I call a high performer. And that's why I started Lions Guide. I want to help you break through to the next level of you and your ability to not only meet, but exceed those demands on you. And in doing so, find your joy again. If you're a growth-minded individual ready to make a change, then I'm here for you. And this is how you get started. I invite you to visit lionsguide.com and sign up to join the Pride. The Pride is the Lions Guide community for growth-minded members like you. Once signed up, you'll get special access to all the free content and resources I'm putting out there. You'll also be invited to join my live online events where I host sessions on personal growth and high performance. You'll also be able to engage with other growth-minded members on our private online group. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast as a member, you'll get access not only to all the podcasts, but also the podcasts that have been yet to be released. So get access to all this and more. So break out of that rut, break into your next level, and join me on lionsguide.com, and let's grow together. Go to lionsguide.com and become a member of the Pride today. Now back to the show. Now, MC, I'm going I'm to stop you and just ask you to compare versus what we're told with the 401ks, the IRAs, the mutual funds. You just said a word there, guaranteed, as compared to what we're told. Just give us the the two-minute drill. Really? Like, right? Massive difference difference between savings, investing, and speculation. And then you you could probably throw in a fourth one there, gambling. Mm. There's a huge difference. And I'm a stickler for terms because words are very powerful. And how you... use words really could change your life. Mm. Uh, here's a perfect example. Most people say, and not just Americans around the world, they're saving for retirement in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds in their 401k or the IRA. So right there, if you look up the definition of savings, that's p- p- putting capital in a vehicle that's the, where the capital is guaranteed and you have a very, very uh, a conservative g- growth on that capital, where if you're investing, you're actually putting capital at risk um, and you're putting it at risk in hope of getting a bigger return. Now, when you put capital at risk, you can lose all of it <laughs> every single time. So it's a huge difference. And speculation is when someone is essentially trying to um, capitalize on you know, a, a trend, it's a very short-term kind of trading mentality. Um, you know, it's a speculative bet maybe to bet that interest rates are going up or down and, and so forth. You know, maybe some folks did that even in, um, you know, even in, in the crypto in the crypto world. And then you have gambling where most folks just don't know anything. You're literally, it's like me walking into uh, a table in a casino in Las Vegas to a a roulette table, which I don't know anything about, and I'm just <laughs> literally putting it on black or red, right? right? That's essentially gambling. And yes, I understand that there's professional gamblers with professional strategies. There's professional speculators that do very, very well speculating. There's professional, um, there's professional investors. Um, but yeah, there's a huge difference between this. And from a tax strategy standpoint, right? So in the life insurance, this is, again, the difference of mindset. 
So we have no control when what taxes are going to be if we put money away at best let's uh, i'm going to be very generous and say let's just say we invest in a 401k with all these things we have no control over what our tax liability will be in 10 15 20 30 or 40 years no idea nobody does unless you're a soothsayer or you have a crystal ball um so what these families do is they pay their taxes now on the seed when they can control it and know exactly how much they need to pay not on the harvest and when they have no control over it and when they have no idea how much they're going to have to pay so that's a so again to your point it's a complete opposite of what everyone else is doing so in a savings vehicle where they position their liquidity you know i've heard a lot of folks say well i'm liquid i'm in stocks <laughs> Well, you're going to have to sell those stocks mm. and you have no idea to determine what the price of those stocks are going to be when you sell it. It might be worth less than what you what you what you bought it for at that time. So um, and you need a buyer for those stocks, by the way, too. <laughs> and, and it's a timing issue, right? Like to your point. So you yep. put 100 grand in the stocks, let's say you got that much that you want to put in the markets and you see an opportunity and you need 50K. What you're saying is. Yep. You have to go sell 50K worth of stock. And depending on the timing of your opportunity and the stock price at that time, you may be down, you may be up, you may be breaking even, and you may have had it sitting there for the last five years. And now it's just at a lull and you need that cash for this other opportunity. It's all for naught, right? That that 50K just sat stagnant in essence. And really with inflation, you're you're taking out less. So you know, the stock markets are not a good savings vehicle that's guaranteeing your wealth as opposed to like these other strategies that with the life insurance. Uh, you know, the, and it's another game. Um, folks ask me if I've done any equities. The only equities that I've done in the past 15 years is actually a pre-IPO where I invested as uh, through a private placement in companies. And as soon as the stock went public, I sold it because that's that's the game. That's where the real money is made. So again, these families will build companies and raise capital through private placements um, and then have investors and then take the company public. And at that stage, most people at that stage cash out. It's a liquidity event for folks. So if you, it's very important if you're going to play games, know the games that you're playing. Um, and that's, obviously a, a a very useful strategy for for a lot of folks right so because you get in very early into a company that then you know let's just say through a couple of years um become very very profitable uh create products and services that the marketplace is salivating over and then goes public and then all of a sudden um there's a liquidity event for a lot of the holders of the stock i mean you pick your big ipos it happens every single time every single time so um yeah know the game um before you play it and then back to the uh, just uh, the the life insurance part of it too so you have the savings vehicle which is liquid you can access the liquidity the capital the cash that's in there at any given point in time through collateralizing the cash value so what does that mean it essentially means the money that you've accumulated in there let's just say that's a hundred thousand dollars you can access up to 90 percent in some cases, 95, depending how you set up the credit line, but you can access it 
through placing that cash value as collateral and establishing a line of credit against that $100,000 uh, that's in there. So what that means is that when you actually, let's just say, take the $90,000 in that example and put it in your business or invest in something, you still have that $100,000 growing tax-free in your life insurance policy. You have a line of credit established and the interest rate now less, more or less is 4% at which you can do it. But let's just say now you access that 90,000 at 4% and you invested in a deal that's giving you 10, 12, you know, 15% and it generates cash flow. So now you can pay the credit line down uh, with the cash flow. And eventually, if there's a liquidity event, you could do that too. And if there's any other windfalls in your economy, whether personal business or investing, you could just pay the credit line back down. What you then get is uninterrupted compounding mm. in that um, the, in that bucket, uh, tax-free. And of course, most people think of life insurance as a death benefit, and you have a death benefit. It's usually um, uh, a multiple of the, ca uh, the, the cash value that's in that life insurance policy. So compare this to a 401k and an IRA, um, you know, at age 65, right? So you, in this life insurance vehicle, you know more or less how much capital and cash will be in there, tax-free, where with a 401k and an IRA, no idea. No, because it's all invested in the market. And let's just even hypothetically say you have a million dollars in the uh, life insurance policy, you have a million dollars in your 401k and a million dollars in your IRA. Um, how much of that is yours when you start withdrawing from it? Well, in the life insurance, it's a full million. In the 401k and the IRA, it, we don't know. <laughs> we have no idea. And of course, most folks don't think about this, but these families do because they think they they think really multi-generationally. So they think if I pass away at age 65, and let's just say there was a million in there, how much do you get with a 401k and an IRA, your beneficiaries or your estate? Well, again, we don't know because they have to pay taxes. But let's just even be very generous and say they will get a million. Well, with the life insurance, there's a death benefit that's a multiple of that million, which in some cases could be, you know, it could be two million or it could be three million that's passed tax free to the beneficiaries um, or your estate. And then, you know, it's a private contract. These life insurance companies, um, it's a private contract between you and the life insurance carrier. These credit lines, if you establish it with a carrier, doesn't go on a credit report. There's no credit check being done for you to access that. Uh, you have access to your money at that stage, right? Or for it's any- colla It's collateralized by itself. You know, it, it in itself collateralizes it. Exactly, Ex exactly. Um, and I mean, this is, this is what they do in family offices. You know, they, there's a, actually a strategy that the Rockefeller family uh, implements and executes, and a lot of people call it the Rockefeller method. Um, but essentially, the family, all the family um, members have life insurance policies on them. This is before they can access any capital from the family bank, which is part of this family office. And the family bank is obviously uh, established through different vehicles, the life insurance being one of them. Now, think about it for a second. With every generation, the wealth of the family actually grows because they kept the money together, the capital, and they also have this life insurance strategy where they're going to have 
great stewards of capital, right? Because you try to, a big part of family offices is trying to transfer intellectual capital with not just the financial capital. The financial capital is actually the easy part of all of this, right? But the intellectual capital transfer is going to result in some great stewards of capital. But of course, you're going to have, you know, <laughs> you're going to have one or two family members that are not going to be good stewards of capital. They are going to buy really, really like flat cars and massive houses and all that kind of stuff. Um, but essentially, they'll pass away. There'll be a death benefit paid out to the, the family's estate, and which at that stage, they will be made whole and the family's wealth would even grow. So there's certain things that you could do to protect your heirs and protect the family's capital in the future, even if you're no longer here. So it's a very, very powerful strategy. And again, these families access capital to grow their businesses to, from these life insurance um, policies and then also grow grow their investments. So it's a very powerful cash flow strategy. A lot of folks have probably heard of it through, you know, a HELOC is essentially a collateralization strategy mm -hmm. where the home equity can be accessed through a credit line. Uh, you could do the same thing with stocks, asset-based lending. Uh, ABL loans is very, very popular. You could do the same thing with gold, silver, and art with certain custodians. I think, you know, there's a couple of private banks that allows um, private banking clients to, to do that. And then also with crypto and then, of course, life insurance. You know, I've done the gold and silver. I've done some, some crypto collateralization. Um, I've done HELOCs in the past, but my favorite one is the is the life insurance one because of the foundational piece, the guarantees. There's not too many moving parts. Um, it's and it's you know it's essentially the boring part of, of all of this because just think of all the other elements in your wealth strategy. So you want to you want to have it on on pretty rock solid foundation, you know. So that's been pretty incredible to see how life insurance is used in in those families too. And again, I say to folks. If you hear this and you feel, oh, but, you know, do I need to be a Rockefeller to do this? I always say you do not need to be a Rockefeller to do what the Rockefellers do. You could do it on a very small scale in your own personal business and investing economy, and it's going to make a huge difference. Yeah, I was fortunate enough as well when I was 20, um, you know, because am I, am I wrong to say this is these are whole life policies? Am, am I misspeaking? These are whole life policies right. structured a very specific way. Right. Um, you know, a lot of folks are probably familiar with Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman and how they dis dislike these policies. Um, and what I say to folks is, you know, that's how, again, unfortunately, this is how the world works. That's how most of the folks buy life insurance. It's retail. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with 99% of what, what Dave Ramsey says about, you know, how whole life is sold to the general public. But Dave then doesn't address the issue of why do family offices buy as many of these policies as they can? Why do corporations buy as much as they can? They structure executive comp uh, packages for CEOs. CEO, the majority of CEOs um, in a lot of these corporations, they don't walk away with 401ks and IRAs. They have executive comp packages, which this is essentially used to structure those executive comp packages. Um, and then, of course, you know, banks. Um, banks buy as much as this, these these uh, life insurance policies as they can for their cash reserves, their tier one capital, um, which is you know just called BOLI. So bank-owned life insurance, and on the corporate side, it's called COLI, corporate-owned life insurance. Mm. Uh, so you have to look at you know there, there's there's always many different sides of a story. 
you know, and of any <laughs> sort of anything that you that you approach, whether it's real estate, whether it's, you know, the stock market, whether it's life insurance, you have to be aware of the game, how the game is played and the different strategies in the game. Well, and, and what I was going to say was, like, I was fortunate enough to get positioned in one of these at 20 years old. I was a young corporal in the Marine Corps. Someone like our major, I think, got caught up on learning about this, brought someone in. And I got, you know, look, premium wise, young, dumb, didn't know any better. I ended up getting it. It was like 100 bucks a month. But and so, so I want to speak to like, the inexpense that it could be, right? Because we were throwing big names, Rockefellers, whatever. Yep. But, you know, it was a guaranteed 6%, you know? So over the last now, how many years ago, it's been 20 years, that those premiums or whatever have been growing at a guaranteed, find find a guaranteed 6% somewhere, right? Like in, in these more what you're told to do vehicles, um, you're going to be hard pressed to find it. So, you know, I, I just say that to kind of affirm what you're just saying is that you, it does, you know, this is a foundational piece and again, true opportunity for savings if you have a bit of, you know, the patience to understand how this works and understanding um, as opposed to like say more. And I'm going to use the, the word that's proper, the other products that you're sold, right? You yep. know, when, when these brokerages or whatever, they're selling you on their product base and again, you know, probably not enough time in a day to explain the fact that they're making more money on your money than you are, you know, in, in some of these product platforms out there. So uh, like you said, it's a whole, it's a whole different, you know, understanding and perspective of the opportunities out there that we aren't, we aren't really taught, which again, back to my appreciation for, you know, knowing some of this, but also still yet continue to learn more every day from you and, and kind of in this world and these opportunities. Um, you you wrote a book right called the twenty one best cash flow niches. Yeah, you know, what what inspired you to to write that, and uh, what are some of the cash flow niches to to take on? Yeah, so it was the number one question I was asked. I started my podcast in twenty sixteen, and the number one question was MC. You've interviewed, you know, the best minds in business and investing. What are some of the most interesting investment? ideas or opportunities that folks have shared on your show and this kept coming kept coming up kept coming up and eventually i started to you know think that this might be great to write a book about it so i contacted a friend he is a best-selling author and i said you know i've got this book the idea for a book and his response was have you written that book and i said no he said i don't understand why not <laughs> so i said okay well that 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 you know gives me justification that I should do this. But um, it came at a really good time too, because I feel like uh, from a, uh, a cash flow perspective, especially where we are right now, right? In the, in just, there's, there's so many cycles that, that we track, you know, we track uh, economic cycles, market cycles, you know, you could track empire cycles. There's a lot of different cycles that you, that you could look at and they're sort of all of them converging right now, uh, which brings it kind of full circle of how I started this conversation that I grew up during times of uncertainty, times of massive disruption, changes, chaos. And we are seeing that. We've seen that since 2020. So a lot of folks have asked me for solutions. Like, what do I do in a world that is so full of uncertainty, unpredictability? How do you get security in a world like this? Uh, so as from a from a stra strategic point of view, a strategy, which, by the way, I love that you said, 
you know, product versus strategy because we most people are just sold products. They don't think strategically or strategy. So from a strategy standpoint, one of the things that we've shared is you have to have diversified income sources because nobody has a crystal ball. No one's a soothsayer that I'm aware of in my network. So what does the future hold? Well, there's high probability of certain things that we could see um, and, and can see play out, but no one really knows. So you want to have as many different income streams as possible. So we shared some of these um, cash flow niches for folks as an idea to start researching you know, different cash flow niches and add some of those. And those have been great. I mean, most folks know about multifamily real estate. Most folks know, know about energy. Oil and gas has been great. Um, Bitcoin mining has, has, has been a, a great cash flow strategy. Um, there's a lot of great ones. You know, one of the, the ones that I shared in the book too, again, comes back to the family offices where there was this agricultural niche. And there's many different agricultural niche, right? That's pretty broad. But the one I found was fascinating, and it was actually timber, and more specifically, teak. And I, and I thought, this is very interesting stuff. And then I started to research it, um, and I'd interview a guest talking about it on the show, and I started to see that, wow, there are some big, big uh, families, you know, and people like Ted Turner, founder of CNN, um, endowments of, of universities, Ivy League schools that are all invested in this specific niche of timber and more specifically teak. And I was very intrigued. So I called that friend of mine at the family office and I said, is this kind of a thing in the family offices? Have you seen this? And he goes, oh, it's a thing. They're big <laughs> on, on teak investments. And I said, this is, this is incredible. Why? He said, well, just think about it. What did trees do in 2019? Well, they just grew. In 2020, they just grew. The whole they didn't, you know, they didn't get the memo of all the craziness that happened in 2020. They just grew. Um, the same thing in 2021. The same thing in 2022. The same thing 50 years ago. Um, and, he, and it's a it's essentially quote unquote a commodity, a hard asset, and it's a upscale commodity used for upscale furniture, furniture, and so forth. Uh, but there's uh, commodities have been beneficiaries of inflation. So it tracks inflation. It just does what it's supposed to do. It grows <laughs> um, and it produces incredible cash flow. And it's sort of a legacy play too. It's on land. Um, and, and of course, this is something that could be transferred from gen one generation to the other generation and, and down the line. And nothing's going to change that much. And I thought this is fascinating. And one of the things that he shared too is just think about it. You always have to think about how to balance out a portfolio or your strategy. So you might have, you know, real estate and oil and gas and, and, and Bitcoin mining and, and so forth. You have all these other and other businesses that you might be invested in. But how do you balance this out? How do you get sort of a, a stabilizing uh, cash flow niche that stabilizes more riskier uh, cash flow niches? Well, that's what it does in their overall portfolio. So I thought that was fascinating. Another one that I added in there too in the book, which is also kind of a similar along that line of thinking is music royalties. You just blew me away. Because if you think about it, what happens when people are sad? Well, they probably listen to some music sometimes, you know, have a glass of wine and just to relax. What happens when they're happy? Well, they play very, very happy music. Um, music is something that is enjoyed regardless of the economic cycle.
Mm. And there's actually a lot of artists, famous artists, that actually um, sells off a portion and sometimes up to 50% of the royalties that they have on certain songs and certain albums. Now, why would they do that? Well, a lot of them are trying to raise capital for their next album and their next project, and they didn't want outside investors again or maybe a record label uh, and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, if you're just looking to um, what happened to Michael Jackson's estate and Michael Jackson's royalties, you know, after he passed, it's just incredible that mm. there was a ton of investors that actually bought some of their, their these royalties. Mm. Um, so there's, uh, there's platforms that you can purchase and invest in these uh, these music royalties and again it's a it's an interesting kind of play because it's a it, it's another one of these cash flow niches that's a kind of a stabilizing factor but yeah it, it was a lot of fun it was you know going down memory lane you know because on my show i cover everything you know real estate businesses uh paper assets uh we covered uh crypto and blockchain technologies we covered commodities we've covered so many things so it was uh it was great to go down to memory lane and you know, share some of the best cash flow, you know, niches that have been shared on the show. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And and the book, like I said, is uh, the 21 best cash flow niches. Uh, and it, we'll, have, we'll have a link for it in the show notes but it, for you guys to check it out and what some of them are and how you can invest in them. I guess, you know, MC, like who's been the most influential person in your life kind of, you know, as far as whether it's this or attributed to your success or perspective? Yeah, it's definitely my 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 mom and my dad. Um, you know, for my for my parents and obviously my my wife and my children are incredible uh right now. Um, but that's actually where the cash flow ninja comes from. So my dad, um my dad is a is a martial artist and a pretty well-known martial artist. He used to travel six to eight countries annually and just teach uh, you know, traditional Okinawan karate uh, all around the world. Um, and one of the biggest lessons that I that I learned from him is um, he pursues excellence in his craft daily. So he's 74 years old, all right? He gets up every day and he still tries to get better. And he's a ninth dan, very, 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 you know, well, well known in the in the martial arts, especially in that niche um, world, all across the world. But he has never arrived in excellence. You know, Nelson Nash wrote the book Becoming Your Own Banker, talked about the um, arrival syndrome, where he, you know, he used the example of, you know, people finish college and they go, oh, that's it. I know everything I need to know. I've arrived in knowledge. Mm. Um, and this is one of the things for my dad is he's, he pursues still excellence in his craft daily. So what I try to do in, as a business owner and as an investor is I just try to pursue excellence in my craft every day. I try to get better, a uh, little bit better every single day. And, you know, when you do that, you are leveraging, you know, some universal laws, which we, <laughs> we don't get to choose if we, <laughs> if they affect us or not, they do the law of compounding. So most people just think of the law of compounding as compounding money or interest and so forth, but compounding efforts over time, I mean, it's incredible, um, the hockey stick growth that you can get. So that's kind of like one of the big takeaways, and that's where the ninja comes from, you know, from, from cash flow. It's just pursuing excellence in our craft as business owners and investors daily. Yeah, I love it. I love it. The uh, Overall, all, everything you've learned or done so far, at least, what are you most proud of? 
You know, I, I think, um, wow, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. You know, um, I think the, you know, from a, from a family standpoint, I'm just extremely, you know, just blessed for the family life that we have. Um, uh, and that is as a result of, um, you know, the pursuit of the vision of, of sovereignty um, and being a free and sovereign individual. You know, I think that is one of the, 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 the things that will move the needle in most areas of your life. You know, the vision that you have for your life, regardless of what area it is, once you become a free and sovereign individual, um, you know, it, it, it has a massive impact on that. And I think most people have started to realize that, you know, I've had these conversations with, with a lot of people. Um, and since 2020, this was really something that hit them really hard that, yeah, they were very successful. They maybe did really well in their businesses, maybe that they did well in their investments, but they didn't realize really what the meaning of freedom was until, you know, let's just say 2020 or, um, how, you know, how the affected they, uh, how, how they weren't really as independent as they thought they were. They weren't really as sovereign. So um, that's the big, the, the main thing I think that I, that I think that I'm, I'm very, very proud of is to, and again, I bring the same mindset to uh, everything else that I do that I pursue excellence in that too. So to, to be from, from a freedom standpoint and sovereignty, are there things that you could do a little bit better every day? Absolutely. You know, especially when it comes to sovereignty, if, if folks really start to think about all the things that we're dependent on, you know, um, and I know we talk about business and we talk about wealth and, you know, financial freedom and, you know, freedom of, of just money, time, relationships, location, purpose, but sovereignty is huge. If you think about the things that we take for granted every day, we flip on a switch and a light goes on. We open up a tap and water comes out. You know, and, and growing up in again in South Africa, um, I've had the the opportunity to see what challenges you will have if you're not sovereign in those areas. You know, and I'll give listeners an example. So they have had energy shortages now, probably for one and a half decades. In South Africa, uh, so they they have um, this concept of load shedding is what they're experiencing. It's rolling blackouts essentially. So for a large part of your day, you don't have electricity in certain areas of that country. Now, you would you're going to become really really sovereign very very quickly if that affects you. Imagine where you live today and you don't have power or electricity for eight hours a day. Now all of a sudden, you know you're going to focus on becoming as an independent as you can from the system, from uh, from energy standpoint, you know, have solar. Uh, you're gonna, you know, figure out what you could do with regards of water. You're gonna figure out what you're going to do with regards of protecting yourself and your family, be in great physical shape, have a home defense plan. Because you know, believe it or not, shocker, when the electricity goes down, <laughs> there's undesirable characters uh, that are opportunists at that point. Um, that that'll try to try to capitalize on the situation. So yeah, so th that's been a big part of it is try to be, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that. And it's can can I get better? Is it is it a full complete, you know, work? No, it's not. It's it's anything uh, but that. But it's something that I work towards every day, too. But that has allowed us to do a lot of things. It's allow our family to have the family life that we have, uh, to do the things that we that we we love as a family. 
and being essentially, you know, free and doing what we want, where we want, with who we want, um, and living in, in in our purpose. Yeah, and and you know, because I think a lot of people mistake to, to the point, right? This perspective, they they when you say personal freedom, they go they automatically jump to like lifestyles of the rich and famous, right? The big house, the fancy car, the big boat. I've learned, and you tell me if you feel any different, but that's another form of slavery because you're enslaved by the necessity to maintain those things, right? I mean, yep. Absolutely. And, and, and by the way, to your point, some of the wealthiest folks that I know, uh, folks must uh, maybe have heard the saying, real money sleeps <laughs> is what a lot of folks, right. and they do. And to your point, that is, uh, it draws you kind of into that status kind of game, which is in my worldview, also another form of slavery. There's a mm -hmm. lot of folks that are, that make a lot of, of, of money, capital in their businesses, but they, they chase that. So yeah. They're not free financially, and they're also definitely not sovereign. So you have the power grid go down, grow down, which affects water everywhere. So water and electricity. Now all of a sudden, you know what what shape you're in. So yeah, yeah, it it, it takes on a whole different meaning once you get to, uh, you know, once once you see the 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 entire picture, I guess, because most of us see little bits of the picture, mm -hmm. and there's still many many different. Uh, pieces of the picture that I'm looking for, because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot that I, that I'm still yet to uncover, but yeah, once you start to see the puzzle kind of form, yeah, you kind of start to see that that's just, you know, to your point, another form of slavery. Yeah. It's, it's uh, so, and it's not about the things uh, you know, like our greatest asset is our time, right? So personal freedom, that sovereignty that you describe is really about your ability to do what you want with your time, you know, and that's the real, it's not, it's not your, it, and I love people throw on like this net worth thing a lot. It's like, eh, net worth, maybe it's, yeah. it's, it's a place, it's a balance sheet, it's a number, but you know, are you free with your time? You know, uh, cause you can be net worth 10 million, but if you got to put in 80 hours a week to sustain that or whatever, however you leverage, leverage yourself, you're not free, you know, sure your right. net worth is awesome, but you're not free, you know, um, so it's it's a great you know once you start kind of getting this game and and kind of starting to I'll say even mature through you know this consumerism that we've been kind of sold for all of my life I know you know and and finally kind of getting my head you know uh, seeing the forest for the tree so to speak and that whole game you know of consumerism and like like we mentioned earlier like what you're sold versus you know I don't know this this idea of what true sovereignty is it's you know, you, you start to get a little bit more at peace too, I think, you know, when you start to break into these areas and kind of have this type of clarity financially, sovereignty, et cetera. So, um, it, yeah. And I, I always appreciate these conversations with you and this, this, the, on these topics. So what, what, uh, what's exciting that you're working on now? Yeah. So, um, we're building out our community, which is, and continue to, to, uh, build it out at cashflowninja.com. Um, so, What's in the works is a second book and then also a, uh, a newsletter. So a lot of folks uh, have reached out to us after reading the 21 Based Cash Flow Niches and they said, you know, you've put, and, and by the spoiler alert, there's five bonus ones in the book. So there's 26 that we cover. And they said, that's great, but there's all these, you know, there's all these new ones that keep coming up consistently. You know, are you going to write a second book about that? Or, you know, are you going to write a newsletter, you know, putting those out? And I'm like, 
well, we could this this definitely could be something that we could put in a newsletter because we're always researching new things and learning new things. And you know, since the book was put out over the past year, it's there's there's about twelve to fifteen additional ones that probably would have made made the book um, or would go into a second one. So that's something we're working on as well. Um, you know, uh, folks can always see what we're up to. We we share everything at, at cashflowninja.com. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of exciting things going on. And to your point on the sovereign conversation, there's a lot of people that have reached out to us about that too, having those conversations and putting something together. So we're looking at, you know, what we can do there, because I think it's hit a nerve with a lot of folks. I think there's a lot of people trying to figure out how do I become more sovereign and how do I essentially become less dependent on falling systems, um, that we've, We've all just been taking we've all just taken it for granted our entire life, right? Yeah. And there it is. at the time of recording, a great example is you'd never thought you'd see it in Europe, uh, or in Western Europe, especially, but there there there's a massive energy crisis there. There's a massive energy crisis happening in California right now. So all of a sudden these themes are starting to come up. So it's something that we definitely are looking into and how we can you know, put something together for folks. Too. Yeah, I mean, to scare everyone to wrap this thing up, right? Like you mentioned earlier, like everything you went through growing up in South Africa during those hard times. And I mean, I got to ask, man, like, are your spidey senses tingling the way with the world today or what? <laughs> I feel like I'm reliving, you know, a lot, uh, a lot of what I've already experienced in my life, you know, and, and, and that's the other thing that I'm very passionate about right now is I feel like um, because I've seen a lot already what folks are experiencing now, I kind of have an idea of where things are going and what comes next. And we've been able to help a lot of folks um, and just share. We talk about it on our podcast. You know, we have uh, conversations about, you know, certain topics that that plugs into this. Um, but yeah, I feel like I'm in a, a, in a position where I can share and draw from my experience to help a lot of other people prepare for what's coming because there's a lot of folks that are going to be really caught off guard um and then there's a lot of folks that do understand what's coming do understand what's going on um and are going to position themselves their family their businesses and their investments to be on the right side of the chaos and put themselves uh, on the right side of one of the biggest wealth transfers in human history i know it sounds like a cliche when i say that but we've already seen it since 2020. If you look at the numbers and the statistics of where uh, capital is flowing to and where it's flowing from, uh, it would shock a lot of people. Um, and it's it's only going to accelerate, I feel like, in the next you know 18 to 24 months. Um, so it's going to be interesting. But yeah, I'm very passionate about that topic too because I feel I can help a lot of folks. You know, I, I kind of say I'm comfortable being uncomfortable <laughs> you know, and loving through this. So, um, you know, a very, very fortunate to be in a position to, to, you know, just share with folks um, and try to help as many people as we can. Yeah, man. No, and I appreciate you. And, and like I said, I, I do enjoy every time I get to talk to you about this stuff. So real quick, I know you said a couple of times, but where can people connect with you? Where where they find you online? Cashflowninja.com. And if you're interested in exploring how to set up your banking system and create your own banking system, uh, we have a webinar available. It's at yourownbankingsystem.com, yourownbankingsystem.com. 
Yeah, check it out. So Cash Flow Ninja and uh, MC, I, it's been an honor to have you on. I like to say, appreciate you coming on, sharing uh, your story and all your experience and tons, tons of insights here. A uh, lot for people to dive into, but definitely go check out MC's podcast. And if you've got the opportunity, uh, get with him, uh, you know, because the infinite banking strategies and these other things are worth knowing you know this isn't an advisory you know thing or anything like that but you know the awareness and clarity of what these opportunities are um you know the knowledge in itself will always serve you so mc hey man thanks for coming on it's been great to have you today awesome appreciate you all right summer talk to you